Welcome everybody. I'm going to get started in just a second. I'm just uh, letting uh, there's a, a number of people just kind of quickly joining here. So let me give a second. No, you should do the really cool content now and the people who are late don't get it. You make <laughs> in-jokes about it the whole time. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Joe. What's the cool <laughs> Go ahead. What's the, the above-the-law cool content of the week? Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing today. I've been, uh, I've been buried in uh, Clarence Th the whole, it was earlier this week, the Clarence Thomas Frodo Baggins conversation. He talked in court, which he never does, uh, right. to ask questions about Frodo. So what we've learned is that Clarence Thomas is some kind of quiet D&D &D geek, which is awesome. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> Any more flushing stories this week? No flushing. We replaced flushing with Frodo. So, now, so <laughs> ne who knows what next week will bring? All right. Well, welcome to the second, uh, our second attempt at doing this uh, Legal Tech Journalists uh, Week in Review Roundtable. Uh, who knows? We may just make a habit of of doing this on a regular basis. I, I have trouble with commitment, but uh, we'll see if it <laughs> if it goes on. But uh, I'm Bob Ambrogi. I write the blog Law Sites, and uh, I guess we should all introduce ourselves real quick. Uh, Joe, since you were just talking. On, <laughs> yeah, uh, I fair enough. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm uh, yeah, I'm here for this this second edition of the. It's like the McLaughlin Group, but for legal technologists. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Molly. Hi, Molly McDonough. I'm a longtime legal affairs uh, journalist and writer and editor. Caroline. Hi, Caroline Hill, Editor-in-Chief of Legal IT Insider, also um, the Orange Rag And Nikki. I am Nikki Black. I am a legal technology evangelist with my case. Uh, we provide practice management software for small firms. And I'm also um, an attorney and a journalist, and I write for ABA, I have a monthly tech column with ABA Journal, uh, bi-weekly bi with Above the Law, weekly with Daily Record. I also um, write weekly on the My Case blog and occasionally other outlets. I write all over the place. <laughs> and all right, and last but not least, Zach. Saving the last for last or best for last. Ah, already. Yeah, of course. I can't speak. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. I'm Zach. Zach Warren, editor in chief of Legal Tech News. That is with ALM and Law.com. So you'll occasionally see me on other ALM publications like the American Lawyer, Corporate Counsel, etc. All right. Um, I'm, 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 I'm amazed that in our, in our we, we're all kind of in the green room before this talking about the fact I was amazed that so many, so few people had heard about the Twitter feed, rate my, rate my Skype background. So uh, sometime we're going to have to do a rate my Skype background for, for the legal tech world uh, or, or something like that. But uh, some good backgrounds here today. We'll full um, disclose your mind's fake. So. <laughs> no, yours is fake? Man, I was going to give yeah. you like a 10. That's so nice. <laughs> You're so, so great. The I noticed case, that last the, time. She When she moves, sometimes you can tell it's fake. And yeah. uh, <laughs> but I didn't know until like midway through the last session. Uh, <laughs> so you haven't read all those books? Planted no. all those plants? And... Oh, yeah. No, I kill plants. I don't grow them. <laughs> <laughs> this is totally fake. Not we just do, the background, we... but the reality it portrays. <laughs> we, we do tech plants. We don't do real plants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the format here is we're all going to go around and kind of talk about our, 
our picks for the, the top stories of the week and uh, exchange views on them. Uh, anybody uh, watching is free to uh, shoot some questions through the chat or the uh, Q&A forum if you want to do that, and, and we'll be happy to try and take them. But we are going to start today with Molly McDonough. What do you got, Molly? All right, so big news yesterday, the um, um, trustees in the California Bar voted to, I guess, move forward with um, working out a sandbox for uh, development of uh, new tools for access to justice in the state. Um, so that, that was exciting news. Um, I'm not sure that they need to spend an enormous amount of time on, on um, working out a roadmap since Utah already already has uh, kind of uh, paved that road for them. So we'll, we'll have to see um, what develops out of that. It's a, it's, it's a big step, um, but I'm not sure when, when they'll take the next big step. <laughs> right, or exactly what the step was. It is a little confusing. I mean, it's, it's like we have, we're going to appoint another committee to study what the last right. committee recommended we do. Right. It seemed really exciting at first. And then when you start to read it, you're like, um, they're just kind of committing to thinking about it. Right. Yeah. I feel like that happens with a lot of PR announcements in general. <laughs> yeah. They seem really exciting, and you read them, you're like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. So but I think we apologize I to all of our PR listeners right now for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we only get legal the tech in people. general. I just meant, like, you know, sorry. <laughs> There's, there's plenty of reference to steps. I'm noticing in the coverage, you know, it's a big step. Significant yeah. step, <laughs> yeah. but uh, sometimes it's between the lines. But for, from from you know, it seems pretty. It, it's pro, it's progress, right? Like with this combined with Utah, it seems like at least it's progress. It's uh, going in the right direction. Yeah, well, I mean, and they it did. Wasn't a PR thing, obviously. It was a, you know, <laughs> a lawyer thing, maybe even worse. But sorry, Nikki, go ahead. I, I was just going to say they they. Um, I mean, they did kind of commit to um, the more expansive approach, which, um, which would give them the mo most options to come up with solutions um, and to access to justice, which is kind of a, a big step too. Um, I do, and I, it would be monumental for California um, to get into this game. So, I mean, whatever California does is going to really make a difference and, and uh, be instructive for jurisdictions uh, just because of the depth and breadth of the legal issues in the state. Yeah, that was my exact thought with it is no disrespect to our friends in Utah, but California is just kind of a bigger scale than anything that has happened previously. And similar to something like the CCPA, where it's being seen as a little bit of a bellwether for privacy, if California is the one to adopt this, then I think you'll start to see the dominoes really fall here. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it a third of all lawyers in the U.S. or in Canada or something like that? I mean, in California, <laughs> probably in Canada right now. But uh, All right. Anything else on that? Who wants to go? Who wants to go next? Who wants to volunteer? Nikki, you, you want to go? Oh, sure. The thing that interested me um, that's been catching my eye lately is it, it Tangentially, it was the news that um, Zoom had acquired a company called Keybase um, so that they could pro work on providing end-to-end -end encryption because once video conferencing exploded on the scene, suddenly this issue, especially in the legal space of 
you know, adequate security became an issue. And then there was all this news, which in some ways I think might have been from competitors of Zoom getting it out there, but about different, that's my theory, I have nothing to base that on, um, but about different um, loopholes in Zoom security and whatnot, um, or Zoom bombing. But I mean, at the end of the day, um, what interested me about it was the cons this idea and the discussion of encryption and what a lawyers actually need, um, whether it's video conferencing or otherwise. And I've been talking about this for a number of years. I think it's interesting that Zoom wants to get that end-to-end -end encryption, but when it comes to lawyers, I would argue that you don't need the end-to-end -end encryption. And the difference between that is end-to-end -end means that not only is it encrypted during the video chat, but it's encrypted on the server so that employees of Zoom cannot later look at the recordings of the um, video, if you will. Um, and in most situations, that's just not, lawyers aren't required to have that level of encryption and that reduction of access, if you will. Uh, first of all, lawyers are already using email, um, unencrypted email all the time. It's technically been given the green light um, for years by the Bar Association, although they're starting to change this. ABA issued opinion 477 in May of 2017. And then um, just recently, uh, Pennsylvania issued um, an opinion just last month where they adopted the um, reasoning in ABA 477. And essentially what it was, was the idea that on a case-by-case -case basis, lawyers need to examine the communications and for particularly sensitive communications, they need to use encrypted communication. But that just means encrypted during transit, right? So email's not encrypted during transit if you're using unencrypted. So when it flows from one place to another and goes to all the different servers, anybody who has a know-how can look at it because it's a postcard written in um, pencil, essentially, um, going through the post office. So uh, the, the idea is that what most lawyers need for particularly sensitive information, according to the ethics opinions, is encryption in transit. Uh, most lawyers do not need that encryption um, at rest where the um, provider cannot access it. They want it to be encrypted at rest, but not necessarily encrypted from the provider because the provider needs to access it to answer your questions, to change settings for you, et cetera. So um, that's why I've always um, explained that only for lawyers that handle particularly sensitive information, you represent somebody who, um, uh, and this is gonna get to another topic we're talking about later, but a very famous person and you hold that very famous person's data. Um, if you represent um, a Chinese dissident, if you represent someone accused of terrorism, those are situations where the data that you hold is of such interest to someone for some reason that they might want to break into your system and access it. But otherwise, whether it's someone from the um, company or just an outsider. But in most cases, lawyers don't need to have that, um, hold that encryption key themselves. And this is a sort of complex topic for an entire presentation, but um, maybe if someone wants to, I think someone will just yeah, dive in there. So, 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 I, so I wrote um, a feature called to zoom or not to zoom um, and um, tried to unpick, you know, take, take different angles. So I looked at the corporate angle. So a lot of clients have banned it. I looked at the law firm angle, but I also spoke to um, a couple of sort of, what I'd like, like to think of as that were um, sort of third party unbiased um, cyber experts, including um, a guy called Andrew Beckett from Kroll. Um, and um, I was really interested, uh, I wasn't quite sure ahead of conversation what he would say in terms of I was like, should, should law firms, my uncle, should law firms be using Zoom full stop? And actually, um, at the time they had just brought out Zoom 5.0, which has improved the encryption. It's not end-to-end -end encryption, but it's much stronger, you know, it's, um, um, improved, in, as you know. 
Um, and he said, um, and I'm looking at it now, so for law firms, sorry, he said, uh, do your own risk assessment. Start with the risk that you're trying to protect against, which is basically, Nikki, what you were just saying. So he's saying if you're worried about Zoom bombing or someone coming onto the call flashing obscene images, obviously now you can password protect it. There are more, there's improved security measures, which for, for a lot of firms will, will go a long way to answering any um, security concerns they had. Um, but obviously, um, he said, but he did make the point that if I think, and think again, this goes to your point, you know, that if, if there are, if there are genuine concerns, then just use something else. <laughs> it was like, you know, that it's so, so there are other products in the market, which are, have stronger, you know, end-to-end -end encryption. He said, he, he did suggest that it's quite, um, that, that unless you're doing, as you say, you know, it's particularly, you know, high, high profile client or super secret top secret government work in which case you won't want to use it he said actually that the the with the latest um patches or security measures that it should be fine for most people although i do understand that i think one of the issues is a certain amount of trust now as well i think that obviously there's been a lot of ups and downs and they've been caught you know we, we wrote this week about another case of um, a bible group that's now bringing class action against zoom um because of pornographic material shown during the bible class um, which has just come out. So I think that there's a matter of trust. I think that that's a you know, big concern, um, which is, might take some time. And then from the corporate perspective, that there's the question of what do you do about the fact that a lot of the clients have banned it officially? So you've got SpaceX, you've got Tesla, you've got a bunch of other ones um, who, who have come out and said, we, don't, we, we won't allow our employees to use it. So, so I guess, and then, and then that take, <laughs> and then if you really go down that rabbit warren, it's like, well, do we allow our clients to dictate what technology we use? And actually there's a real danger. I think, so what, what I think the summary was, have a very, have a clear policy, have a, have, have a you know, clear policy internally about what you use it for. And, and then if you're going to use it, um, put it in your engagement letter, be very clear about, what matters and then don't allow your clients to actually dictate to you how you use it because that's also a bit of a slippery slope. Um, I wanted to say that in, in Massachusetts where I am we have an ethics opinion that in fact says that our clients can dictate what uh, okay. we take. But, uh, but for internal I think it was we, we have to do what our clients say and also that ABA opinion that Nikki referenced does say that yeah. you should be consulting with your clients about this yeah. uh, and essentially getting their buy-in in terms of what security measures you're Right. I think I think I did them about it, but you need to get their agreement on it if it's a matter of uh, yeah. if, if it's a matter of uh, high uh, sensitivity or you know very privileged information. But. I think I didn't, differentiate, I didn't, didn't differentiate, um, so, because I, I mean, so you could use it internally and then I'll, I think because also there's different ways, obviously you could use it for internal, you know, different, basically there's like let's have several shades of gray, you know, and it's, it's sorry, Nikki. Well, I was just going to say Erwin Kramer posted a question and said, essentially, um, how do we get uh, Luddite lawyers and the judiciary to sort of um, get them over that security hump and agree to use these systems. And I was just going to say my short answer is a pandemic's a great way to get them over that bump. <laughs> I mean, the, in the last, you know, month, we've seen legal tech, you know, vault forward a decade. So that has been a positive part. I mean, the courts are truly trying to provide um, video conferencing to move the essential cases forward. So I, I think that that's been a great way to do it. Um, wouldn't have been my preferred way, but it is what it is. <laughs> One of the things that I've, I've really appreciated during this time too are the people who are willing to 
take the time to demonstrate to the courts and to lawyers how the technology works. Um, one of the things um, I, I got to, I said, well, I, I listened to the recording of the legal services briefing um, on domestic violence this week, and one of the things that um, kind of changed the the um, atmosphere in North Carolina was one of the agencies did a mock proceeding um, and showed the, the um, judges how the technology can be used so that they could continue doing um, some of the court work remotely. And, you know, and then they got the buy-in because they were able to demonstrate and show them how it worked, how to use it. Uh, and I, and I I'm seeing more of that um, with more um, organizations, lawyers, groups, um, doing these kind of mock trials, mock programming, um, just to show um, show how it works, <laughs> and that that help, I think that helps. And especially if you can talk about the security when you're doing those demonstrations, I think that that goes a long way too. And I assume you you should be able to do the same thing for your clients. You know, one other thing I want to add to Irwin's uh, point about not going back uh, is exactly to, to just today our our. Our, all, the chief justices of all of our courts in Massachusetts sent out a letter to all the lawyers in the state. It's an amazing letter, but one thing they say is that, uh, uh, quote, unquote, uh, we are more quickly than many thought we could, and with some stumbles along the way, creating a more modern and efficient court system that will survive after the pandemic has passed. So, uh, you know, even the courts are saying, we ain't going back. Uh, this is changing things. It's really significant. Well, there's just a tie to close tie out on this one. I, I think what lawyers, the judiciary, and um, anyone handling confidential information really needs to understand is that there's no such thing as absolute security. There never has been and never will be. There's a standard of reasonable care in implementing security and taking reasonable steps to ensure confidential client data remains confidential. And so you, you aren't expected to prevent every single possible situation from happening. Um, that being said, and sometimes things happen that are completely outside of anyone's control, and other times things happen because you didn't take adequate security measures, and you've got to make sure that you're walking that fine line. But yeah, speaking speaking of uh, questions or or comments from the audience, Mike Mike Whalen uh, made a comment about Lupul. Are we calling it Lupul? L U P L. And Caroline, I know you were uh, interested yes. in talking about that. Can you what yeah. what is it? And, and what's, what's uh, have well, you figured out? That is the question, Bob. And do you know what? After I suggested I talk about it, I have to come out with a big, big sort of, you know, I think the honest truth is that we're learning more. Um, it came out this week. So my, my um, headline today was, is it Rain and Court? Is it Teams? Is it IQ? No, it's Loopal. <laughs> and I'm like, because the feedback on Thanks, social... That, that clears it up for us. Does it clear up? So, <laughs> so it's... And, and actually, it's interesting because um, it's definitely the one that... The story that most people have been talking to me about this week, um, including my interviews today with two big CIOs who both brought it up. Um, and it is... So it's, it's the result of collaboration um, between... It's, it's been a long time in the running, um, um, sort of 12 months preparation between law firms, in-house teams. Um, and the, I think the way that it was explained to me um, is that it's, so that it's an open platform and they call it, and this is not going to help either, matter sync, this is, this is not what was written, this is a conversation I had late this afternoon saying they call it matter synchronization software and they say that it's a new category and basically what it does and I'm still, to be honest with you, until I speak to the COO next week in person, I'm a bit light on more detail. But 
it, it consolidates. So as we all know um, from our own personal experiences, there's a, there's a raft of different ways that we communicate. So it might be Google Docs, it might, and we, we obviously use the DMS. We've got email, um, and we've got all different modes of communication, Slack, Zoom, um, and there's a proliferation that's just growing, particularly with, in light of remote working. And it's a consolidator, effectively. It's a matter management tool, but not in the way that we would understand that. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of interface um, that will help to, he to help bring that content together, including the DM. And there's, there's interesting quotes um, from both Neil Arajo at iManage and Alvin Tejmulia at NetDocuments. And there's, a, there's, a, there's quotes from LexisNexis. Um, there's other quotes. Um, they've, done, they've done a really good job in terms of bringing in quotes from law firms. So they've got CMS involved, um, trying to look here. So the firms that were involved um, in terms of the incubation are CMS, Cooley, and Raja and Tan. Um, they're working with an advisory board of 16 in-house lawyers from blue chip firms. And then the wider law firm testing group is um, Sorsha May, Cause, Westgarth in Australia, Kaitan & Co in India, 1SX Court, which is obviously leading Barristers Court over here. Um, and... Um, and then I think, and, and it's definitely caused, I mean, the, from the CIOs that I've spoken to, it's caused huge interest. I don't know if you, have you has, there, has anyone else been, just, I hope Mike, um, so does that, is it new or a competitor to solutions that already exist? I mean, yeah, I think a lot remains to be seen, to be honest with you. Um, what does it, has there, what's anyone else heard about, about Lupo? Have you heard, have you heard much? Yeah, we, we talked to him the other day, too. And the one thing that really stood out when I, I wrote up the initial article, then our Chen was the one who actually reached out to him. And mm. in their conversation, they made sure to stress that it's not open source because mm. it's still going to be proprietary software. They need to make it a standalone business separate from these firms that started it. But it is open API. So what they're yeah. trying to do is be the connector for pretty much literally everybody in the same yeah. space, which is why it's the same thing as you, Carolyn. The fact that both iManage and NetDocs are already not necessarily supporting this tool, but they said, yeah, it's something that interests us. LexisNexis, the same thing. I, I think it's not necessarily groundbreaking in what it's trying to do, but I think it might be groundbreaking in who all it's bringing together. Because if there's a mass of support behind something like this, then that just becomes kind of the go-to right off the bat. My, my instinct is that it will tread on toes. Um, and I think that it's interesting that they've got those two particularly to, to comment. You know, that my initial question was, you know, how will it, how, I, th I think that, um, I think that it's, it's bound to step on toes, but you're right to point out the open API and that it's a connector um, and it's designed for what's interesting. So as we know, like a lot of, a lot of um, technologies doesn't, doesn't um, bridge law firms and the corporate sector very well, but this is specifically targeted at both. It's kind of, it's a kind of all embracing. I mean, it almost, I don't know. There's, there's, I think there's a lot more conversations to be had about it, to be honest with you. To, and initially what was quite amusing was, was the, the confusion that it caused on social media, this sort of great, this great announcement, which everybody was like, well, what is it? You know, which is why I used my headline, you know, was it a bird? Is it a plane? Um, but I think that they, they've certainly done, you know, they've obviously had, a, it's, it's, it's still in beta, um, but they've got, they've had a lot, we've we had a lot of conversations behind the scenes um, and, there's, and, and what's, what's interesting is the, um, from, from people who, you know, the, the excitement that it's causing, actually. 
um, from, from people who aren't just caught up by press release, you know, news by press release, like sort of, um, what do you call it, innovation by press release. There's a lot of people that have been coming to us and talking about it who, who are genuinely excited, which is what, what puts it on my radar more than anything else. Yeah, which is something that's interesting to me too. Like you brought up Rain in Court earlier. I, especially recently, I don't think there's been too many buzzy technologies that have really made a splash upon entrance. Um, but that was one of them, I think, definitely last year around Ilticon time. And uh, right about now, I think, especially normally this week would be clock, if not for pandemic, uh, that would have been a heck of a time to try and make that splash. And especially in the corporate legal ops world, how exactly that would have been received. Uh, would have been interesting to see. Yeah. So my, my understanding, Rain and Court has had some, it slowed down a little bit during this pandemic. I think they had some either salary reductions or layoffs or something. I don't quote me on that, <laughs> but I, I know there was some, uh, some uh, uh, disruption to their business as a result of all this, because some of those uh, development products and getting companies set up on their platform have been put off on uh, side burner for a while as, as firms dealt with the more pressing matters of of dealing with the situation we're in now, so yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like we were saying last week about um, the priorities. Suddenly, you know, right. it, it, whether there it's on the is it on fire? <laughs> is it going to yeah. be on fire? Right. <laughs> yeah. How soon will it be on fire? And if it's yeah. not on fire, we don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zach, what, what else do you got? Uh, what else is interesting you this week? Yeah, um, it, it probably wasn't the biggest story out there, but it's just one that I'm tracking because I find it very interesting. Uh, they're the Indian law firm, and excuse me if I mispronounce this, but Cyril Amanchar, or Am, Amarchand, uh, I believe is how you pronounce it, but their legal tech in incubator graduated its first uh, round of startups this year. Uh, originally, the incubator started 2019 after seven-month program, uh, JRTC intern, legality, legal mind, a few of the names there. Uh, legal tech incubators are becoming very common, but especially outside of U.S. and Europe. Um, I'm there's been very strong growth even over the past 12 to 24 months and seeing this first Indian incubator really start to get off the ground, uh, Russia, Australia, all of these international climates, you're really seeing legal tech grow into an international thing in a way that it really wasn't even two, three years ago. Um, so it, it's like I said, not the largest story, but something that I think is definitely worth talking about because it's going to be increasingly an influence in this industry moving forward. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, and um, I mean, there's just, there's just, so much. I mean, you know, it's not it's not surprising that there would be a lot of activity in India because there's been a lot of activity in, in India for a number of years in some ways. But um, another area that seems to just be sort of taking off as a a, a hotbed of, of legal tech lately is is Africa, uh, especially yeah. some of the Southern Africa countries. Uh, and there's a, really a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Um, so uh, I think a lot of it comes down to as well, though. So, so how much government backing? So, so if if you see, say, for example, in Singapore, where the government has got so well behind, you know, so obviously that's one of the jurisdictions which I think is just fly, is flying, and then one of the reasons is because there's so much state sponsorship of of the initiatives. And I think that the firms, it's great, it's really great to see this firm, um, you know, taking this step. I think obviously, hopefully, that will then translate into more government funding and the government initiatives in the way that it has in Singapore. I think actually 
we, you know, we, Singapore is, I would say for me, leading the field in that sense, you know, in terms of the level of um, government initiatives that we're seeing. Um, and I think it, it's telling, um, you know, on the investment and, and that's, that's then translating into firms setting up their vets or vendors setting up there. It's quite fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking to see uh, if uh, he showed up. I know that uh, a, a guy I, I, I know, come to know from, from Russia, who's sort of the, the legal tech uh, guru of, of Russia, had signed up for today's program. I don't see that he's on here now. I would have asked him for some comment on this. But I mean, Russia is another place where there is just a, a whole lot of really interesting stuff going on. And, and it, it is government funded, largely, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, uh, a lot of the legal tech uh, startups uh, are, are getting direct support and grants uh, from the from the Russian government, uh, but but they have a lot of uh, aspirations to uh, expand their market, you know, well beyond uh, Russia into not just uh, Europe but but the United States as well. So uh, that'll be something interesting to follow. <laughs> Uh, Joe, I haven't called on you because you haven't, you, I'm not sure if you had a topic or not, but because. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't. I, I, <laughs> I came into it late and everyone had already come up with all these good topics. So I didn't uh, have any. Um, I figured I could talk about the others. I mean, I know that we, we have the conversation about the terrorist attack going on on, uh, on Grubman, you know, so like I thought that might be an issue that we could all talk about. Yeah, you mean the, the ransomware attacks? Or? Mm hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I, and I, I, several people mentioned this, and I mean, there's been an, a, a number of uh, ransomware attacks uh, in the news over the last uh, few weeks, really, uh, uh, against law firms, against legal vendors, against the entire court system in Texas. Uh, uh, what was that, last week or earlier this week, the, the Texas uh, courts uh, were uh, hit with it. I, I thought the... Um, Kind of the the most fascinating one in a sense was this uh, the the New York City uh, law firm that represents all the A list celebrities, uh, and uh, that that's had their you know that that the uh, the attackers are have, are now starting to sort of slowly post documents on their uh, on their uh, on their website, which is a you have to. You need you need the Tor browser to get in to see it. Uh, it's it's not on the open web, but uh, uh, they're start, starting. As matter somebody sent me another document today that was uh, some kind of a, a contractual issue uh, with uh, with Lady Gaga that got posted up there. But the, the attackers are asking for forty two million dollars in ransom from this law firm, uh, and. Uh, I don't and they know, now say they're gonna. Do they have it? <laughs> they they now say they're going to uh, release a bunch of documents about Donald Trump if they. Yeah, don't get that's it. what I thought was so yeah. interesting. They're set, pulling him in to try to have him force the law firm's hand on paying. That was super mm -hmm. interesting to me. A really strange tactic, but possibly. It's interesting, but it's not clear what they have. I mean, <laughs> right. Right. according to the report, this was in page six of, of all places reporting yeah. legal tech news here, um, but. Uh, they said that Trump was never a client of this firm. And, right. and, and so it's not exactly clear what documents there might be there. Although there certainly could have been clients of the firm who had dealings with Trump in some way. Yeah. It makes me wonder if they just think that Trump has so much dirty laundry that if they drag him into it somehow, he'll think they have something. And I, because it just seems like, I don't know, like an interesting tactic. Like how, yeah. what are they dragging him into it for? And 
it's, it's his ego. They're playing on his ego somehow, you know, yeah. or his fears. Yeah. The wording is really strange. Someone sent me the, um, the screenshot. Um, it says um, the, our demand was 20, 21,000, 2100,000. Uh, 21 million. Sorry, 21 million. 20, <laughs> 21 million. Um, then um, the initial, uh, it's just the, the wording is really weird. Like the language is quite strange. So, so the ransom is now 42,000. That's the kind of money. That's the kind of money and even more. But let's about nice one. After the publication, there was a report of abuse. If once again, there will be such reports, we rent 100 servers with fast flax and we'll make uploads. It's, it's just, you know, and then, then, then the next person will be publishing. This is from the original screenshot that someone sent me that they published on the, the dark web. The next person will be publishing is Donald Trump. I think this is all probably in page six. And <laughs> yeah. um, there's an election. And, and yeah, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's, extra, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Um, and this is obviously this group. They, they've been super active. The, the, I'm not sure whether you say Revel or Revel. Does anyone know how, how you pronounce it correctly? Like, so this is this group. They're becoming quite prolific. Um, right. In terms they of remind me of the villain from um, Austin Powers. They like, just keep upping the ante, like, and just picking random numbers that they're gonna request. And then it's million dollars. And the end says the end of it says the end of the screenshot. War to victory only this way. Right. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't so serious, it would be hilarious. But it's just. I mean, it's just. And, and we were talking about this kind of offline about you kind of feel it's about you know. How, do you feel sorry for the? You, I, instinctively, we feel sorry for the phone. Nobody would wish this on anybody, but um, it's becoming such a prolific thing. I mean, I've sent, been sent this week several of these these um, sort of shares from the dark web, um, and it's a you know it's a it's obviously something that we're going to have to start <laughs> working out yeah. how we address in a relatively systematic sort of way. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, one of the issues for me, uh, and I, I, as I kind of said to the panelists before we started, I don't know if this is quite a journalistic ethics issue for me, but I, I, uh, when I first wrote about the New York City law firm last week, I, I for some reason decided I didn't want to name them. I, I felt there's really kind of no reason to, I don't know, expose them for something that happened to them and, and that could happen to any of us probably. Uh, and then, of course, you know, within hours of my post, uh, they, they had been named in any number of other stories. So it, I didn't really get anywhere uh, with that. Um, and, and yet, when I had reported on the ransomware attack against uh, Epic uh, what, a month ago or two months ago, whenever that was, I mean, I, I had no problem reporting their names. I felt like that was something that was really uh, of, of importance to, you know, a lot of law firms who have their client data with, with, with that company. But I, I got a, I had a email communication with this, uh, this security analyst guy that I threat analyst guy that I keep talking to on these cases. And I mean, his argument is that it's really important for the press to report the identities of, uh, of companies or firms or whatever that have been uh, affected by this because uh, what it, the 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 attackers hold out this uh, sort of promise of anonymity as a way of trying to increase the ransom, and and uh, if you uh, expose if if you eliminate that anonymity around it, then the attackers are are less likely to keep upping the ante in terms of the ransom they can demand, and uh, and perhaps are going to be less incentivized to do these attacks in the first place. Uh, so I don't know, Any, anybody else have any thoughts on how you handle that? I also think there's something to be said for, um, it, 
the passage of time and the development of this tech. I think that about, you know, like five or six years ago, if this happened to somebody, I would feel very conflicted about what, you know, is this firm a firm that isn't prepared, hasn't expended its uh, money on security and so on? And am I by reveling in their pain, you know, exposing all these like ethical lapses or whatever, even though they're more or less in line with what other people are doing. Today, I think that firms are sufficiently caught up, a lot of them, on the need for, you know, security protocols and so on, that this is, this is more like this can happen to anybody's situation as opposed to me exposing that your firm is weak. I think if we talked about it back in the past, we were saying, look, the firms are the soft underbelly that you can go attack. Today, we're saying, no, they're, they're ready. It's just, you know, people can get in there. But does anyone know, so, and I, I don't know, I don't want to you know, draw conclusions that are not there, but so one of the, when we, when with COVID, we all started remote working, one of our questions was how does that impact security? And what, and one of the interesting things, and I genuinely, you know, don't know enough about this to, to know whether there's any connection. I think what will be interesting for us to look into is whether there is any, because there's been a, now a raft of, of, of um, ransomware that seems to be more, it seems to have increased. And I think that it would be interesting to find out whether there is any connection between firms remote working um, and whether there are holes in their arrangements. Um, and because that was, that was our initial, the conversations that we were having straight away was how, how you know, um, wh- how, we, how will your remote working arrangements affect security? Um, so it may be that there's, it may be a coincidence. Um, it could well be, but, but there's certainly been a, there seems to be, you know, Bob, do you, do you see, I mean, I haven't seen this many, like I'm getting emails every day saying, and this new firm, and this new firm, you know, and I haven't even looked into half of them, to be honest with you. Is that the same? Well, but, but ransomware yeah. is related to servers and um, physical servers that are housed in the firms that are getting locked up. It's their actual physical system. The cloud, you rarely see, um, unless, uh, you know, when, when people store stuff in the cloud and it's housed on Amazon, you're not seeing ransomware attacks. That actually protects your data. So if they lock up your physical systems, your computers or your server on your firm, you have copies of all the data in the cloud. And all of the remote working that people are doing is over the internet, right? So no, well, no. So, I mean, well, they've obviously got a raft of different arrangements. They're using VPN and VDI, and there's a whole raft of different ways. You know, there's not, it's not. Yeah. So there's not. I mean, there's not just one shape fits all. So they, you know, they're well, using. But the ransom, ransomware is when people get an email and they download something onto their computer and it gets into the system through the VPN or whatever. So they're VPNing, VPNing, not VPNing. They're remote remoting into the firm system, and that's how it's locking into the system. And I would suggest that probably if there is a correlation, it's because the companies know that there's no IT um, people on site. So that's where the weak link is. They don't which have is, the IT people there. Is, to... Yeah, so there is obviously, you know, so there is, that makes these, there's a connection. It's interesting in, in itself, isn't it? Because obviously, um, that, that, yeah, I mean, I think that, that that obviously brings in the, anyway, yeah. I mean, I just think it's interesting. I was just sort of, well, I haven't looked into it. Um, I haven't sort of done any research into it, but it just seems that, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to know. I mean, it seemed to have started, to me, it seems to have started uh, in sure. earnest against law firms last year sometime uh, before yeah, all this th- broke. I don't think it's, that's new. It, it's that new. I do think that, um, I think the willingness to report on it um, and the fact that this is going more public is newer. Um, and I think for a lot of the reasons Joe mentioned, that's the case. Um, I, I, th- I told, I said offline earlier that, uh 
you know, this reminds me of um, over 10 years ago when the FBI was super reaching out to um, legal journalists, um, letting them know that, hey, these firms are being attacked um, or targeted for phishing. And their point at the time was, you have to get the word out. You have to let people know that this is a security risk um, and that legit you know, firms that should know better are having trouble with this. Um, and, you know, and a lot of it's accidental and a lot of the phishing attempts are, you know, really easy to click on. Um, right. So, you know, that I think that helped firms, you know, once the reporting started, helps firms get, uh, have a broader awareness, understand what they need to do to close those, um, those holes, those security holes. And yeah. also, and also, and also what Bob was saying about once it's out there, it's, it's you know, the, so the, secu the advice that we've been getting um, from people sending this to us is that it's, it makes it easier for the firm once, once it's, you know, when they're, when they're operating behind this veil of huge secrecy, then, then the, it's all in the ransomware attacker's favor, obviously. Yeah, and just thinking about this, I, I don't know whether it's a positive or negative in terms of ethics, but from a psychological standpoint, I've noticed it seems a lot different if we're writing on, oh, this is hypothetically a thing that could happen or, oh, this is a thing we've heard it's happened before versus DLA Piper systems are down. If you put an actual face and name to it, people start to open their eyes a little bit more and say, oh, I know people over there. Oh, this is a firm that should have a, and probably very well does have very strong defenses if it can happen to them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So we're just laughing if it's ever looking at the chat. So the reason we're laughing is Nikki, we're about to lose you. Nikki said, there's a thunderstorm, but for some reason it looks lovely and sunny. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're calling me a liar. Yeah. <laughs> Fake background we talked about earlier. Yeah. It's an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> I do, I do want to just want on the journalistic ethics component. I do think there's a difference too in naming people where you know there's an active security issue. Um, I've definitely held off doing, doing even reporting on security breaches until, because I don't want to invite more damage. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but that's yeah. another, another issue. And you know, if, if the organization doesn't actively work to respond, at some point you have to be the watchdog and say, nope, you we're we're not going to hold off anymore yeah yeah although you, that can uh, come back to haunt you as a journalist because i mean that happened to me with the epic i was i was the first one to report that the epic got attacked but i didn't report it as a ransomware attack at first because when i called them they said we're really not sure we're investigating this and i mean all yeah. everything pointed to a ransomware attack but they said just would you mind just not reporting it as a ransomware attack yet until we can figure this out and we'll get back to you? And of course, by the time they get back to me, everybody else was reporting it as a ransomware attack. So, you know, yeah. that, that's what I got for, uh, <laughs> for being nice. And, it, and it, 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 so it's very um, emotionally charged and lots of threats going around, you know, as you, and, and so with, with um, it's very, it's very complicated, you know, with the advanced um, situation that we talked about last week. So Turgon's like, who's this InfoSec company? He said, we want you to make a joint disclosure. And they said, we don't want, you must not make any disclosure. We won't have our name associated with it. And they're saying, well, we want you to do the right thing and admit that there's an open database. And then obviously there's a lot of dispute about what exactly is available in advance. So there's almost nothing. And Turgon's like says, actually, there's a significant amount. Um, and, um, and 
yeah, it's it's a it's to try to unpick it sometimes. I think is and make sure that you make the right call, which obviously to all of us is the most important thing. Is um <laughs> for many reasons, is uh it's hugely complex and 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 you know you can lose lose sleep over it. I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If there's anybody else out there who has a question they'd like us to address, uh, we're, we're getting near the end of the time here, so go ahead and, and get it in there. Uh, one other story I wanted to mention, and it, I mean, I think it's big only because it's of the dollar amount involved was the, was the, the investments this week. Uh, I mean, there were four separate investments in uh, tech companies involving contracts, tech of, of one kind or another. Um, adding up to a total of $92 million in a single day. This all came on Monday. It was all announced on Monday anyway, uh, $92 million. Uh, and uh, one of them, I ha I, I'm embarrassed to admit, the, the biggest one of the lot, $44 million in the Sarayan Labs, I had never even heard of them before until I read about this. I, they, that was news to me. Uh, but apparently they are, uh, they are, you know, a huge player in this space. So, I mean, I, you know, I don't know if anybody has any, any thoughts on, on, on whether that means anything. I mean, we've been seeing a lot of investment in, you know, AI related contract tech for a long time now. Uh, and all, I think all of these claim to have some AI component to what they do here. Um, so this is, you know, in some ways just an extension of a trend we've been seeing, but, uh, it also shows that uh, even the uh, even a global pandemic is not going to slow down investment in legal tech. I guess. Well, you know, I um, I actually did a podcast. So above the law, we've started a second podcast just because of so much COVID related stuff going on. So we have like our it's like a three L class: COVID and the law. Anyway, we're um, the, our episode this week. We talked to um, Knowable about contract stuff, and I think. One of the things that was said, I think, was right, is that a lot of this contract interest in contracts is all of a sudden those obscure terms in the contract are super important now. Wait, what does happen if you're 30 days late on the supply chain? Like, what do I get? What do you get? Like, knowing and having the ability to immediately figure out what your deal is yeah. is huge right yeah. now. Wait, I just talked to Knowable for my podcast too. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> um, I think it shows that there's uh, so all of these deals. Um, I'm worried that I added it up wrong. So, so I did it. I did a tally as well, and I wrote about a few of them, and I got to 75 million. Bob, you obviously had one that I didn't have, <laughs> or else my you were in pounds. My maths, no, my maths is really bad at the best of times. But so, so, um, well, maybe mine was off. Let's see. Oh my god, so no, I probably, we, but so I don't know that we did the same, but but why we, well, did that's why we all went to law school, so we would never have to add anything, <laughs> right? So, clearly, our it's showing, it's not my fault. But so, Syrian Labs, it's funny because I was speaking to Zach Abramovich and he said, I've talked about Syrian Labs. And they went, oh, you should look into this. And then you wrote about it. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, then, um, and obviously, it came out that day. And what it shows, so they're obviously... Oh, you're um, right. I've got 70 million. I did say the wrong number. Oh, it is thank God million. for that. Yeah. I mean, what the hell did yeah, I miss? Good. So, so they're in um, contract. So the, 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 the fund, the, rate, the raises were all around the, or mostly at least around the contract space. So particularly contract lifecycle management. So... Yeah. And I think that it just goes to show that in areas, and, and I think this has been accelerated by remote working, so um, where private equity are obviously identifying the, it's, it's funny because it's like, I, I think I wrote it as, um, this is where they think you'll be spending your cash <laughs> because 
um, it's all around the spaces that will help um, firm, corporate legal departments um, and firms to to be more efficient and stay on top of their contracts now that we're all you know working away from the office so it seemed to me that that was quite interesting that it's a so i think so syrian is um contract life cycle management law geeks is another one um which as we know is um all around the review of contracts um chorus um i didn't actually know chorus very well actually they don't really fit into that category um malbec is another one that you wrote about bob which raised three millions and smaller but nonetheless it's another clm funding round story um and then lex check which raised three million, which is um, also they all say AI um, contracting platforms. So they're all in the contract space, which I thought was quite interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else anybody else wanted to talk about this week? We did, we did get a, a very long comment here that uh, I'm not going to read all of regarding uh, the fact that uh, law firms are so naive about computer security. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he invites he invites a pun here by saying stop stop thinking like a lawyer and start think like a bad guy. But uh, yeah. we could make we could we could go places with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's true. They there there's a lot of naivete out there. It's, yeah. Well, right, there was well, a question about yeah. reopening and legal, how that's going. There's in New York at least. There's some interesting things happening. Um, the New York State Bar Association, I just wrote about this for the Daily Record, but they released a guide to help law firms um, with that reopening process and all the different things that they need to consider with the reopening. Um, and so I thought that that was um, interesting. And there was also something else released out of New York that escapes me at the moment, but, um, you know, that reopening is, you know, that the courts have a lot to balance in terms of what is essential and what's not essential and what's going to be done in person and what isn't and how do they reduce traffic in the courthouse and then the firms themselves have a lot to think of in terms of employees you know how are we going to stagger the employees how are we going to have social distancing who needs to be there how are we going to who's going to work remotely so remote working seems like it's going to be continuing for quite a long time because until we have a vaccine you know there i think a lot of employers law firms included are going to want to avoid any risk of liability for bringing everybody in and then getting sick. And then, then there's the issues of clients and um, reaching clients and how do you, um, do you have one client come in at a time and then how do you sanitize the areas in your firm when the clients come in and under which situations do you have the clients come in? So there's a lot of novel things to think about that we've never had to deal with before. Um, and so that, that New York State Bar Association guide is um, uh, really helpful uh, to take a look at. and. Um, there was another guide issued as well. Uh, there are two different guides out of New York. Um, the one, Molly, Molly, you shared one with me um, because I, held, I hosted a webinar, um, which Bob, you can spoke on. Um, but Molly, you shared a link with me about the courts reopening. Was that the same thing that Vicky's talking about? Or was that perhaps the, you, Jim? Sorry, Jim? No, the, the, yeah, the National Center for State Courts um, held a, a briefing today day the conference of chief justices i didn't get a chance to make it um oh, yes, but they um so i'm hoping that that was recorded oh. um and that was about um kind of making plans to reopen the courts um there are lots of different stages a lot a lot of these states have disaster plans i mean it i don't think anyone was anticipating the scale you know florida had lots of planning in place for hurricanes mm -hmm. and shutting down and then reopening um, in stages. Um, so, you know, the, a lot of those plans have been modified um, and and are being are being implemented. So, um, 
you know, so it's just how quickly um, they're ramping up and um, what what the differences are in, in the plans. Um, but I, I do want to, I may bring this up if we do this next week, <laughs> if I get a chance to actually um, listen to that. Yeah, so um, yeah, we were, so it was great, <clears throat> really great chat yesterday. And um, I saw uh, quoted um, Joe Andrews, global chairman at Dentons, who um, was quoted in, um, in, a, in the publication The Hill, saying that he, he doesn't, I don't have it in front of me, I did at the time, but saying that he doesn't foresee that people, got, lawyers having to go back, going back to work anytime soon. <laughs> um, certainly not, almost certainly not in 2020, which I think yeah. is interesting. Yeah. You know, one other thing I meant to ask about that happened this week, I just was curious, uh, there were two different major legal tech or good sized legal tech companies had virtual conferences this week. Uh, Relativity had its Relativity Fest London, which uh, I registered for and made it to like all of two sessions this week. And I just didn't get a chance to go to it, even though it went on for, I think, three or four days. Uh, and then uh, Next Chapter, which is a, a bankruptcy platform owned by Fastcase, they did a five day long it's probably still going on as a matter of fact i think starting it right about now is jack newton is like the uh, the uh, closing keynote speaker for it uh did anybody go to any of those or, or have any thoughts on, on those i and think what the bankruptcy one is timely in terms of a lot timely. of lawyers if they're going to be pivoting yeah. um for the changing times and they want to be ready for a practice area that's going to be hot that's one of them you know, yeah. a lot of people are people and companies are going to declare bankruptcy. So, that I think it's smart of them to do that for sure. I meant I meant to yeah. go to rel relativity. I heard I heard good things um, about a few of the sessions. Um, I've just been, you know, I think we're all kind of caught up in our own little bubble. Perhaps I think that's one of the issues, and we're all doing webinars, and yeah. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to juggle everything. To be honest, I, hard, I really, hard to juggle, I really right? meant to go to. I really wanted to attend relativity. Look, like had some couple of really particular those sessions yeah. that I really wanted to go to, but um, and I'm you know and I'm hoping that I'll be able to catch yeah. up. Yeah, we still we still we still have to do our day jobs. Is the problem? Yeah, there's so much. Maybe we not for now, but but you know this this new. We've talked about the Zoom exhaustion, but but you know I think that there's so much demand for webinars and live chat, and it's great actually. I absolutely love it. My husband teases me that I moan about it, but he's like, "Oh yeah, you hate it." <laughs> but yeah. actually, it's a lot of juggling, right? Like it's um, right. it's fun, but yeah, you know, but yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of juggling, uh, let you let you all get back to your to your days, and uh, who knows, maybe we'll be back again next week uh, and then Molly can get a chance to uh, address this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I want to hear. <laughs> she didn't get a chance. <laughs> Thanks to everybody. Thanks everybody for attending and listening. And Thanks so much. We'll Thank maybe you. see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye everyone. Bye.